Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Now here's Pastor Michael taking a short break from the book of Exodus to speak with Scott Klusendorf about our upcoming 633 event called In His Image, A Case for Life in a Post-Roe v. Wade World. Hey, listening audience, this is Pastor Michael Lance, and this is Walk in Truth. We're taking a break from the book of Exodus to do a very special program and an interview with Scott Klusendorf on the issue of life. And Scott is a leading apologetics voice on this issue, and he is coming to Living Truth Christian Fellowship on Sunday, February the 5th for two morning services, 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. The title of his message is In His Image, A Case for Life in a post-Roe v. Wade world. And Scott is the president of Life Training Institute. He travels throughout the United States and Canada, training pro-life advocates to persuasively defend their views in the public square. He contends that pro-life, the pro-life message can compete in the marketplace of ideas if properly understood and properly articulated. Well, that was a mouthful. And I want to welcome Scott Klusendorf to the broadcast. Scott, welcome. Pastor Mike, so good to be with you. Now, you were just telling me off air that you were recently in Scotland. Was that a uh, something for ministry or was that a personal trip? I've done a lot of pro-life training events in the United Kingdom. This particular one was a daddy-daughter trip. Um, mm. Our daughter is getting married in June, and we're really excited about that. But she and I have always long shared a joy of visiting the United Kingdom, and we wanted mm. to take one last trip before I hand her off to the next man. Ah, uh, what a beautiful thing. And now you hit some cold weather there. How cold was it? Oh, my goodness. It, I think it took a few days to get my voice back. And when you put <laughs> hot tea on cold vocal cords, you see mm. things. <laughs> well, we're glad you're back safely, and congratulations on the coming wedding. That's uh, that's a blessing. We're excited. She found a great godly young man, and we're we're glad for that. Tell us a little That's bit about the whole your... reason I spent the money I did to send her to a Christian college. Mm, amen. Tell us a little bit about your family, really quick. So you have a daughter. Uh, tell us. We a have bit four more. children. My wife and I. My wife Stephanie and I have been married since 1985. Awesome. We have a son, 32, a son, 30, a son, 26, and a daughter, 22. That's a blessing, Scott. Well, just so you know. Um, my wife and I were married in 1990. We have three grown boys, and we have a granddaughter. We have another on the way. Um, Congratulations. That I hope is I can great. say that on the air. <laughs> uh, You'll anyway. find out if you shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have a uh, my middle son, whose name is Nathan, is uh, courting a young woman, and uh, we, we see a wedding coming uh, very soon, potentially in the summer. So it's an exciting time. Good. So, so anyway, um, Scott, as we think about, you know, your, your back, your background in this area and, um, the work that you've done at prolifetraining.com, if people are interested in checking out more, I just wanted to ask you a question that's kind of like, not necessarily an apologetics question, but just a kind of a basic, maybe even a personal question. Why? Why does this issue matter to you? And how did you come to kind of make this an area of expertise? 
Well, I'll tell you what got me into this. I have always been pro-life. I was convinced the pro-life position was true and reasonable to believe. But my problem was I wasn't doing anything about it. Mm. And um, in November of 1990, I went to a pastor's gathering in Southern California where a speaker by the name of Greg Cunningham was going to be presenting on the issue. And I thought, oh, good, I'll have a hundred of my colleagues there because, you know, when you say the word pastors and breakfast in the same sentence, <laughs> it usually draws a crowd. Yes. Well, in this case, I showed up and it was me and four other guys and their wives. And uh, thankfully, Greg did not let the small crowd deter him. And as I listened to him, I thought, boy, I really like this guy. He's logical, rational. He was a lawyer with the Reagan administration and had very good speaking and clarity skills. And as I listened to him, I thought, boy, I like him. He doesn't hurt the brain to listen to. I had heard pro-life speakers that, quite frankly, did. And uh, then he did something, though, that changed the course of my life. He showed an eight-minute video depicting abortion. I had never seen abortion. And I sat there, Pastor Mike, and thought, I am no different than the priest and the Levite who pass by on the other side of the road. I say I care about this issue, but I'm not lifting a finger to act like I care about the issue. In other words, I was sentimentally pro-life, but not behaviorally pro-life. So that got me convinced that I had to do something. And I went home that day and I took the VHS tape that Greg showed. By the way, for your listeners, VHS tapes were these rectangular <laughs> devices we used to use for all our movies. Yes. Um, good luck finding them. They're in the same relic uh, ca- uh, catalog as the eight-track player. But anyway, um, I showed her that video and said, I think my whole life has changed. And she said, hey, listen, I'm with you. Whatever the Lord is doing here, may he grant us wisdom. And bottom line, six months later, with the blessing of my church, I resigned my associate pastor position to pursue working to help Christians articulate a pro-life case to a secular culture that rejects religious truth as real knowledge. Mm. And Scott, you said something very huge, that once the veil is lifted off this issue, and I saw a similar video back in the day, and then you know several since, and once you see the reality of what it is, um, the argument is pretty much over. Yes, we have to articulate it still, but once you see it with your own eyes, uh, it's it's a devastating reality. It's something yeah. that I believe that uh, you know the other side, and and let's talk a little bit about the spiritual battle. This is this has been cloaked in darkness. Uh, yes, they don't they don't want people to see it for what it is because once you see it, um, it changes everything. So well, as Greg saying. points out, when you show pictures of abortion, abortion protests itself. And what mm-hmm. that means is we are able to bypass people's mechanisms of denial where they try to just rationalize it. We're speaking directly to their moral intuitions at that point. And when you speak to the conscience, we know that uh, the conscience bears witness to the truth of the law of God, Romans 2. And yes. uh, it, it it convinces, it, it does its convicting work. It's hard to imagine that someone wouldn't be moved um, upon seeing it unless their conscience is seared. So I think that's really powerful. So let's, let's kind of jump from there and let's talk about when you come to a church, you're coming to Living Truth, and you're going to be at both morning services, 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. in the city of Corona. And then you're going to come in the evening and do some uh, training and take some Q&A What's your goal for that morning, and what would one expect? Um, 
let's say somebody says, you know, I don't want to look at a picture like that, or I maybe I want to hear some apologetic arguments, but I'm a little squeamish or I'm a little hesitant. What would you say to them? Well, they'll get the apologetic arguments for sure at both the church services and the evening session. But what I want to do in a church service is basically lay out what a pro-life church looks like. What what are the things we need to do to be pro-life Christians within the fellowship of believers? And there are, I'll, I'll tip my hand here a little bit, a, a pro-life church has got to preach, teach, and counsel a biblical view of human value and preach, teach, and counsel that abortion is a sin. But a third thing we've got to do is make sure we are grounded solidly in the gospel, which represents the only hope for hurting men and women who've been wounded by abortion. Um, Mere counseling isn't going to fix that. They need to get right with their creator. And the beauty about talking about abortion directly and even using images of it is it it does make the reality known, but then it presents a, a great opportunity to point people to the one person who can heal their pain. And that's, of course... Jesus, as we express in the gospel. So it's a great setup for conveying gospel truth. And then the fourth thing a pro-life group of Christians needs to do is equip believers to make a case for life. I teach at Summit Ministries, a Christian worldview camp, all summer long. We get a new group of 200 students every two weeks, and I get a whole day with them on pro-life topics. And Pastor Mike, these kids are coming from the best churches in America, many of them. And yet when I run a survey and say, how many of you have ever gotten pro-life apologetics training at your church prior to coming here to Summit? Out of 200 students present at each session, we're lucky to get 8 to 11 hands go up. And that's staggering. Um, So we have got to make sure our churches are equipping our students to encounter the worldview challenges they'll get when they leave for college. Amen. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. One of the top apologists on the issue of abortion and life is Scott Klusendorf. There are conjoined twins out there. In fact, I'm thinking right now of the Henschel twins that the media has followed since infancy. They're now in their early 30s. They are joined literally at the hip. You look at a picture of these girls and you see one set of legs, two body trunks, two sets of shoulders, and two heads. Now these two girls cannot live independent of each other because their organs are intertwined and their bodily systems are linked in such a way that separation is impossible. But if living independent of another human being is what grounds your right to life, neither one of those girls has a right to life and both can be killed. Join Pastor Michael Lance on Sunday, February 5th at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. Life Training Institute President Scott Klusendorf will be our guest during both morning services, teaching on In His Image, a case for life in a post-Roe v. Wade world. Learn more at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH, 844-48-TRUTH, or visit walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. I'm interviewing Scott Klusendorf, and we are talking about an event coming up at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, where I serve as senior pastor. And Scott is coming to teach on, in his image, a case for life in a post-Roe v. Wade world. 
He'll be at both morning services, 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. And coming back for a special evening time, 6.33 in the evening. And we'll do some additional training and some Q&A. So, Scott, we ha- we have in the title a post-Roe v. Wade world. And, and I don't want to skip over being made in his image. But but I want to go to the Roe v. Wade decision for a second. So, in the, in that decision, in, in the um, Supreme Court decision, to end the Roe v. Wade uh, law. How has that impacted your world and and what difference does that make today in terms of what you see out there and what people are encountering? Well, make no mistake about it. It was a monumental victory to have Roe v. Wade overturned. And here's why. With Roe v. Wade, the federal courts co-opted the abortion issue from the other two branches of government, the legislative and the executive, And it basically said, we, the courts alone, will determine abortion policy. The rest of you, meaning the people of this country, go away. We're going to leave it to judges. And overturning Roe reversed that and put it back in the hands of the American citizenry through their elected representatives. The good news is that means we can now begin to fight at a level we never were allowed to before, but now can. The bad news is that the worldview assumptions that make abortion plausible to millions of our fellow citizens are deeply entrenched in our culture, and they're not going to go away simply because the court reversed itself. We're going to have to dislodge them, and it's going to take equipped and informed Christians to do it. If you think that, that I'm exaggerating, let me give you an example. In the last six months since Roe v. Wade was overturned, Pro-lifers have lost every single time the abortion issue was put to a vote to the public. Even in red states like Montana, the citizenry voted down a very modest proposal that didn't even ban abortion. All it said was, we should provide medical care to infants who survive abortion procedures. In a red state like Montana, that got voted down. Why? because of the pro-abortion lies and distortions that basically were telling people, hey, you now are going to get prosecuted if you have a miscarriage, which is a complete lie. And if you need surgery for ectopic pregnancy, you won't be able to get it. Both of those are just blatant lies, and yet Mm -hmm. they were spread throughout the culture by a sympathetic media and others. And the result was, because the public already accepts many of the worldview premises that make abortion plausible, these lies were easily assimilated. So this goes right to the heart of what you do, Scott, and why you're coming to, to Living Truth. And what you do really all around the country is we need to battle the lies with the truth and exposing abortion for what it is is one step, but but also to articulate um, why we hold the position that we hold. And I, I like what you said earlier, to ex- to extend grace because this issue has pretty much touched everybody, typically yes. sitting in a Sunday morning uh, congregation. Somebody has been through an abortion, been, uh, knows a friend that's been through it. Uh, just just so you know, we have partnered with a couple of local ministries, a crisis pregnancy center called uh, Corona Life Services here in our city. And also, we just began a partnership with Love Life. The Sunday after yeah. you come, our church is going to do a prayer walk uh, next to our local abortion um, uh, place. And uh, we're just going to stand there and pray. And so that's going to happen the Saturday after you with us. I think that's a huge thing for us as a congregation. Speak to us about, you know, we have other pastors and obviously other believers listening. 
you would hope that every church would do something like this, put feet to it. Talk to us a little bit about that. And what, what do you think um, someone listening could do in their church? Well, first of all, let me briefly address some reasons why clergy are reluctant to address abortion. And one of those, Mike, is they fear that if they take on abortion, they're taking on a political issue. All moral issues eventually get politicized. Slavery got politicized. Racial segregation got politicized. It's inevitable, but that doesn't mean we don't have a moral responsibility to testify to the truth. So as Christians, we need to do that. But also, I I like to point out to pastors, and I was one, so I understand these concerns. You know, sometimes we as pastors think, oh boy, I don't want to get distracted. I want to stay tethered to the Great Commission. And I agree, we should be about the Great Commission. But the question is, what does the Great Commission teach? The Great Commission teaches that we are to disciple believers. What does that mean? Well, Jesus told us in Matthew 28, we're to teach them to obey all that Christ commands. What is one of those commands in Scripture? We're not to shed innocent blood. Exodus 23, 7 teaches that. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 teaches that. Matthew 5, 21 references that. So when we speak about abortion, which is the shedding of innocent blood, we're not distracting people from the Great Commission. We're helping them align with it. And Amen. I think when we, we do that, we also have an ad, added benefit. Our churches, as you know, Pastor Mike, are filled with people who have abortion experience. And the kindest thing we can do is not ignore their pain, but expose the sin of abortion and then point them to Jesus so they can find healing. Leaving mm-hmm. them in their denial is not helpful. That's not kind. But pointing them to a Savior who can bring healing is exactly what we need to do. And Scott, as we look at the wider issue, just of the moral um, abyss that we are in right now as a nation, you know, there's there's so many levels of this. And, you know, we could talk about uh, other things that are going on. I was talking to someone uh, just the other day about TikTok, and they were telling me yeah. so much of the content is progressive Christianity and, you know, questioning yep. every uh, moral teaching of the scriptures and the moral beauty that the Bible, you know, uh, lays out for us. So we have, we have a really big issue going on here. And if we do ignore it as leaders and pastors, I do believe that we are just basically allowing the, this wave to continue. Would you agree with that? I do indeed. And one other thing I'll say to church leaders, there often can be this fear that if we take on these controversial issues that will drive people away from attending church, that will turn unbelievers off. And just the opposite is true. When non-Christians hear a believer give an articulate but persuasive and kind defense of the Christian worldview on a topic like abortion or doctor-assisted suicide or even a defense of marriage, they walk away going, you know what, if the Christian can speak intelligently to that issue, maybe they've got other things I ought to look at. Mm. How about the resurrection of Jesus? How about what it takes to get right with God? I mean, sometimes these folks that we think of as seekers, their objections are more intellectual. And when we show that the Christian worldview can compete in the marketplace of ideas, we invite them to take a closer look. It doesn't repel them. It helps them take a closer look. I'm thinking of a friend of mine, Pastor Mike, uh, Michael Sherrard in in Peachtree City here in Georgia. He preached a pro-life sermon a couple of years ago on a Sunday morning and laid out a case for the pro-life view. And just before the service, 
one of his congregants came up to him and said, hey, listen, don't blow it today. They were kidding him. Don't blow it. We brought our atheist friend from Spain to church today. Mm. And he's a professor (laughs) at a university in Spain and a staunch atheist, but he agreed to go to church with us today to be polite. So make sure you deliver the goods today. (laughs) And Mike was thinking, oh boy, do I call an audible here and change topics? And he says, no, I'm going to go forward. He preached his pro-life sermon, even showed a a video depicting abortion, included gospel, included pro-life apologetics. And that Spanish atheist made a beeline for him after the service and said, you, sir, have defied every expectation I had about Christians. I was convinced there were none of you that would speak intelligently to what really is going on. And you just blew all my expectations out the window. Mm. And we learned later that this Spanish atheist with the Christians he was visiting had many gospel-centered conversations that were sparked initially by a persuasive pro-life presentation. That's awesome. Well, we uh, have our special guest, Scott Klusendorf. This is Pastor Michael. You're listening to Walk in Truth. And we uh, have Scott coming on February the 5th to Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, where I serve as senior pastor. I really want to invite you to come on out and listen to this presentation, 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m., both morning services. Scott will be with us, and then he'll come back at 6.33 in the evening for our evening service, where you can ask your questions and we can get some additional training. Mark your calendar for February the 5th, as we will have a very special Sunday to equip you further. Scott, as we uh, are going to wind down our conversation, I want to ask you something about an approach. So sometimes Christians are a little hesitant on how do I broach a subject and how do I be kind? You know, I'm not, they might say, I, I don't have a pulpit. So let's say it's a friend at work or a family member or something like that. People wonder, how do I go from point A to point B and actually like even, you know, delicately approach this topic? No, it's a fair question. My colleague, Greg Kokel at Stand to Reason, has a great approach of asking good questions to get conversations going. And one of the questions I like to use with people is to tap into their impulse for equality. Everybody in the culture today is obsessed with equality, right? All right, so let's use that for communicating a biblical worldview. I'll say to somebody, hey, do you think each and every human being has an equal right to life, or do we only have it in virtue of characteristics that none of us share equally and may come and go in the course of our lifetimes? Well, everybody says to me, no, all humans are equal. Okay, I agree. Then if I can demonstrate with a good argument that the unborn are members of the human family, would you agree that they too have an equal right to life just like the rest of us? And at that point, it gets a little thorny for them to try to backtrack because they've already committed themselves to human equality. Mm -hmm. And now the discussion's going to take place on the empirical question, what is the unborn, not on one's subjective feelings about abortion. Yes, that's a great point. Well, I wish we had more time, but for this particular broadcast, uh, I want to remind you that we have this special event coming up, and it is Scott Klusendorf coming to Living Truth Christian Fellowship on February the 5th, and he is going to be preaching a message called In His Image, a case for life in a post-Roe v. Wade world. And he'll be at both morning services at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. If you go to walkintruth.com and you click on the church tab, you can get information, driving directions. If you're committed at your local church, and you should be, come on out for the evening service and join us for some additional training and a chance to ask your questions. 
If you want to know more about Scott's ministry, you can go to ProLifeTraining.com. That's ProLifeTraining.com. So glad you listened today. Scott, thank you. Hey, I want to give you the final word. What would you want to say to our listeners to encourage them about this issue and to come on out on that Sunday? Well, if they come out for one of the weekend events, I promise them they will leave knowing how to defend their pro-life view in a minute or less. Mm, Well, that's good. In fact, we're going to lock your church doors and they can't leave (laughs) until they they recite it. (laughs) Just kidding. But they will leave equipped to do that. That's awesome. We are excited to have you on February the 5th. And uh, we pray for traveling mercies and that God continues to bless your ministry. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for that. And pray hard because I'm flying Delta, which stands for (laughs) don't expect luggage to arrive, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Scott, we look forward to seeing you. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor. Thanks for listening to Pastor Michael's conversation with Scott Klusendorf. If you missed any part of today's conversation, Pastor Michael and Scott Klusendorf continue this conversation on the Walk in Truth podcast. Search for and subscribe to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app, like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and iHeartRadio. Remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast for free. Also, more people like you can dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner of at least $10 a month, or you can give a one-time gift. Please visit walkintruth.com to give. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 17, 8 through 18, called Lean on Me. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.